Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Back for adventure. It's Triple Threat Theater, episode 66. I'm Joe Daxberger. I like a good adventure. My name's Ryan Miller. Mills? Mm Mm-hmm. Adventure time. Yeah. What could it all mean? Jake and the dog. Oh. Right? No? Is Jake? Jake is the dog. Uh, Finn. Finn and Jake. That's what we're talking about. There we go. Everyone's favorite animated show. I would have volleyed that one right back to you. Like, who's in that, that show? I know I've seen it a handful of times, but. Uh, I remember, like, it was hot in the streets when it was on, mm-hmm. and not really knowing what it was or, or whatever, and then getting the impression from, like, some blog posts or, like, tweets or something online that it was actually, it actually had, like, a dark, like, uh, like backstory or something, and mm-hmm. reading an about how it's, like, post-apocalyptic, and I was like, oh, this, is, this actually sounds pretty cool. And then I watched the first episode, and I was like, nope, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Like maybe there's some cool like hints at some kind of darker post-apocalyptic backstory throughout or something, but after one episode, I was like, "This just ain't my speed." Well, anyways, that's not what we're dealing with tonight, Milsey. Yeah, we're not talking about Pendleton Ward. No, sir. Tonight's our own version of Adventure Time. Mm. We've got 1985's The Goonies. Oh. Also, 1985's Explorers. Oh. And 1987's Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, mm, that's quite the reaction. This boy <laughs> loves adventure. <laughs> I mean, like, what would you call the very specific subgenre aside from Adventure Time? Like, yeah, I know that these aren't all Amblin films, but I mean, it's just that that vibe, right? I mean. Pretty much. I mean, you just want to call it like Adventure Kids TM, like trademark or something. But yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's like kids it's, like getting into, getting into some shit they're not supposed to be. Yeah. Just like, uh, you know, children, like latchkey kids left to their own devices. Yeah. Uh, my, my people. <laughs> getting into crazy circumstances, be it supernatural or, you know, still ridiculous, but more down to earth, like in the case mm-hmm. of... Uh, Adventures in babysitting and just that that feeling of like uh man we don't we don't need no adults around we can yeah. handle this shit ourselves and then uh I don't know it's just I I don't know what to call it aside from just it's it's the Amblin yeah the Amblin effect I don't know <laughs> it's just ma- it's magic really yeah like, it's like the children of ET or something I, yeah, I don't know what else to call it <laughs> very much I mean you know the closest thing to like harnessing it in the modern era, it'd probably be like Super Eight, I guess. Which was Stranger like, Things. Stranger Things. I mean, yeah, for sure. As far Stranger as Things and all of the things that are now copying Stranger Things, which yeah, is yeah. in turn copying E.T. and mm-hmm. the Goonies and <laughs> all these other kind of movies. That is the vibe, but I'm here for it because I enjoy this shit. Yeah, I mean, it's undeniably like a part of my youth. 
you know. Oh, yeah. A lot of these movies I wasn't watching when they first came out because I was actually born in the year that Goonies and Explorers were released. <laughs> but these are the kind of movies that, you know, mm-hmm. late 80s, early 90s, it was like the, along with stuff that came, you know, later, like The Sandlot or whatever, which I feel kind of falls into the same ballpark. Yeah. No, no ballpark, pun intended. Oh, but well, um, well played. Yeah, I think these are the kind of movies you watched as a kid in like the late eighties, early nineties. Oh yeah. Just like taped off HPO, heavy rotation. Rented from the library and duped with two v- VCRs in my case because yeah. we didn't have cable. There you go. I mean, I've seen all three. Where where had you fallen? Uh I had never seen Adventures in Babysitting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Really knew nothing about it aside from the poster. Uh, glorious Drew Strews in peace. Mm-hmm. I had seen the Goonies once before. This was only my second time seeing it. Hmm. it. Was that like a you know heavy rotation movie for you when you were a kid? Or uh, Adventures in Babysitting, far and away the number one as far as rotation. Mm-hmm. The Daxberger household seen many times. Um, Goonies, not so much. I'd say I'd actually put Explorers above hmm. Goonies. Even. I mean, I know just from the internet pop culture human interaction with other people in my peer group that uh the goonies is like the runaway favorite or you know the most beloved of the batch that we're talking about here mm-hmm. and uh, for whatever reason i just never saw that one when i was younger i didn't see it until high school and i was not a very big fan mm. <laughs> when i first saw it mm-hmm. again only one time ago and then explorers I probably saw for the first time during that period when I was getting three movies at a time uh, oh, through the mail from Netflix, yep. like in the, the early af- days of Netflix. After Qbert School, yep. Yeah, just, you know, I probably went through a phase of like, oh, Joe Dante, I should watch like all of his movies. And mm-hmm. honestly, don't remember liking or hating it. Just remember feeling that it didn't leave a huge impression on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Adventures in Babysitting had never seen until wow. this week. We're definitely opposite ends of the spectrum here. <laughs> I mean, these were all. I I don't actually know if Goonies was one we even like had in the house. The other mm-hmm. two for sure. Uh, Goonies I had certainly seen plenty when I was younger. The three of them I had not seen in decades at this point. Yeah. So it was a uh, it was a great episode to come around. Because, uh, you know, it's kind of rare even that I've seen all three of whatever we're watching. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm trying yeah. to think like, um, you know, I had, I saw E.T. a couple times when I was younger. It was never like my favorite movie. We've talked about that one on the show before. I'm trying to think of what else really falls into this category that I would have seen. Like, like I said, it comes a little later and it's not exactly the same thing where it's like kids going on an adventure over the course of a day or something. But I feel like sort of in that ballpark again is is the Sandlot, which is a, an all time mm-hmm. favorite, and I watched that a ton when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I know, like, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead and License to Drive. Used to watch those when I was a kid. Yep, like even like the Lost Boys, I didn't come to until later. Uh, I see, I was into Lost Boys. Like some of the whole. I mean, this is I. This probably only applies to me, but I've actually seen. Jaws two more than I've seen Jaws. And Jaws <laughs> uh-huh. two is like a like a teen adv- you know getting into shit that he shouldn't be like you mm-hmm. know te- Jaws two is definitely the teen version of Jaws. Yeah, 
which I have seen so many times. So that would check the box for me on that one. Monster Squad I never saw until the yeah, uh, see. the Netflix heyday that I mentioned. No, I was big on Monster Squad when I was little too. Yeah, I'm struggling to think. I mean, like the movies that I watched over and over when I was a kid were like Little Shop of Horrors and Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And then around, you know, the age of seven, I got into Aliens and I was watching like Tremors and stuff like that as a kid. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's come up on the show f- before, too, but, like, there was a stretch where me and my brother watched Tremors every day. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like, I don't know. Um, it is funny that we were talking about how, you know, these were the kind of movies you watched when you were that age, but I'm struggling to think of any that were, like, the cornerstones of my viewing mm-hmm. as a youth. I mean, I never, you know, my parents never really censored what I watched for the most part. Mm-hmm. So I could Same. watch horror movies or whatever. So it's not like, oh, I had to watch the PG movies or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, for us, it was like, you know, definition of like latchkey kids, like, you know, single parent home. Mm-hmm. My mom worked a lot. We were in like a triple family home where my grandmother was upstairs, but it's like she wasn't like watching us all day. We would just <laughs> be like, I'd be like drawing, reading comics, watching movies like all day. All night, you know, and I had two yeah. older brothers, so it's like s- certainly stuff I probably shouldn't have, for sure shouldn't have, or <laughs> wouldn't have watched, you know, definitely did with them being around, so. Yeah, but I mean, it's just, it, uh, it's just, uh, it's a vibe, the these kind of movies. It is, and, uh, it certainly is. you know, however it is, I became familiar with them, you know, even something like Adventures in Babysitting, you know. Not to give away my thoughts on the movie itself, but just the type of movie it is. It's a very easy, like comfortable zone to fall mm-hmm. into, even oh, watching yeah. it for the first time now mm-hmm. when I'm in my late 30s. So, yeah, that whole it's a whole kind of uh, God, what am I thinking of? Like uh, Breakfast Club and uh, John Hughes, John Hughes, similar but different. You know, those are like the, the teen, not so much the adventure, but it's just like the the teen the days of a teenager type of thing. You know? Yeah. I mean, uh, weird science is a little bit in this kind of zone yeah. where like, oh, the yeah. parents go away and it's the kids getting into some crazy shit. Yeah. So gotta love it. Milsey. Uh, John Hughes, uh, he had a hand in like the home alone movies, didn't he? He did. did. Wasn't he like a writer on home alone? Like that's sort of again, a little bit in this ballpark. Not oh, exactly. Yeah. Cause it's not like a group of kids, but that's okay though. I don't know. It all kind of fits together. If nothing else, like I said, these aren't all Amblin films, but Steven Spielberg, in some manner of speaking, had his fingers in all mm-hmm. of these films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm with you. Yeah. It's just, like I said, it's the it's the, the Amblin vibe, the children of E.T. The <laughs> yep. It's just that Spielberg oh, feel. Yeah. More of that. I mean, I would continue to watch new versions of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like we said, Stranger Things. Yeah. So. I'm with it. Mm-hmm. It's just tough outside of the 80s, I feel. Like, Stranger Things even has to take place in the 80s. Like, would it yeah. be possible to do a movie like, let's just say, The Goonies, that takes place in modern day? Well, I want to say yes, but it's just like, it's probably be like more eye-rolling because of so much of it would be like, let's look up One-Eyed Willie on the internet. Or yeah, you'd have internet, you'd have cell phones, cell you'd have phones uh, and GPS and <laughs> yeah, blogs and whatever the fuck you know. 
and potentially even just, you know, like Stranger Things, again, takes place in the 80s. If it took place in modern day, like, would the kids just be riding around town on their bicycles? Like, because that's, a, again, it's a total thing where, like, the whole latchkey kid idea where at a certain point in time, kids just, like, roamed the streets. And it was like, okay, just be back in time for dinner or be back by dark. Well, yeah, because that's not even a thing anymore either because everyone's so afraid of, like, kids doing anything, I think. that Yeah. Kids getting lost or hurt or, you know. Yeah. There's no roving bands of hooligans on bikes anymore like there used to be. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if some if someone, you know, if they're good and keep just putting out those type of style of movies and just keep them in the 80s, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I mean, there's there's plenty of them from the 80s, as we've kind of discussed, so. Shall we get right into it? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, the Goonies and Explorers both came out in 1985, but the Goonies came first, uh, mm-hmm. just about a month before yeah. Explorers on June 7th, 1985, we have the Goonies. Look, if we keep going, someone's really going to get hurt. Maybe dead. Besides, we got to get to the police. Maybe Chunk already got to the police. Maybe Chunk is dead. Don't say that. Never say that. Goonies never say die. I'm not a goonie. I want to go home. I forgot. But still, don't you realize? The next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. Right now they gotta do what's right for them. Cause it's their time. Their time. Up there. Down here it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. Uh, So directed by Richard Donner, Mm -hmm. who's just one of those directors that I feel like we don't really have anymore. Where, you know, once upon a time to be a movie director didn't mean like you ha- you only direct horror movies or you only direct family films. It's like this guy was directing Superman, you know, very famously. Mm-hmm. And then he also did like the Lethal Weapon movies. And then he did The Omen, which is like a horror film. Mm. Just one of those kind of journeyman directors, which I don't really feel like we have a whole lot of anymore. These days, it's like if you're Christopher Nolan, you always are making Christopher Nolan movies, you know, for yeah. example. <laughs> or like, you know, guys that will like get their start in horror, but that only lasts for like a movie or two and then they're out of it. Mm-hmm. But it just feels like the majority, like if you, if you know the name of a director these days, they're pretty much pigeonholed into a specific subgenre or something for yeah. the most part. I mean, pretty much. The idea of the journeyman director, I like that. That's a good, that's like a fitting title. That's just the way it used to be. I mean, mm-hmm. if you were a film director, you know, a job came your way and you would do it. And yeah. I don't know if it's exactly like that for Richard Donner, but, uh, you know, he's directed a lot of different kind of things in his career. I mean, he did that action movie with Stallone, uh, Assassins. He did uh, Maverick based on, I think that was based on an old TV show. He did Scrooged with Bill Murray. He's like all over the place. Oh, wow. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. Huh. Then... We've got Christopher Columbus as the writer of the film, mm-hmm. based on a story by Steven Spielberg. Yep. Who gave us films from the writing point of view, uh, such as Gremlins, 
the Home Alones, which I mentioned. Uh, I never realized that he wrote Mrs. Doubtfire until I was looking oh, him geez. up just recently. It's same here. And I mean, he's a director as well. We'll talk about him more when we get to Adventures in Babysitting. But uh, he directed that film. He directed the first two Harry Potter movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. So... You yeah. know, he's he's more in that, like, kind of family-friendly, for the most part. I mean, Gremlins is a horror movie, but, you know, it's also it's still, pretty lighthearted. Still. Yeah. He's he's more in that ballpark of, like, he's always doing those kind of movies, but still, like, what a what a batch of titles. Yeah, man. And um, from what I was reading, based on a story by Steven Spielberg, this movie, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, um, I was reading a lot of stuff about Christopher Columbus, like, saying that it was based on his youth, where he grew up. I forget exactly where it was. It was a town like unlike the one that the movie takes place in. But just like even just like saying like a story by Steven Spielberg, it, it, to me, is almost just like, you know, what he just had like kids find buried treasure, you know, and then like, <laughs> yeah. someone else runs with it and like adds in all the, the peppers and all the details that actually make it the thing. Mm-hmm. But also, just like I was saying before, how it feels like Steven Spielberg had his fingers in all these movies. Like you read about stuff like the movie Poltergeist which was directed by Toby Hooper. But then depending on who you listen to, uh, Steven Spielberg like co-directed the movie or was the true director of the movie or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, same kind of thing here. I was reading that Sean Astin claims in his book, uh, I guess it's like his memoir, it's called There and Back Again, that Steven Spielberg essentially co-directed this movie with Richard Donner and like directed just as many scenes as him and Mm-hmm. I feel like you hear that a lot about Steven Spielberg, almost like, well, why didn't you just direct it if you were so like invested in yeah, it? Yeah, like, it's probably like can't help himself, like you know, he's a <laughs> yeah. producer on, on set and can't help it. Yeah, and people know better than to tell Steven Spielberg no. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that can that can uh, backfire on you as well, if, as we've oh, seen course. from like George Lucas. <laughs> oh <laughs> so yeah, people needed to tell him no at some point. But oh, of course, of course. Didn't. But anyway, uh, yeah, The Goonies, um, only my second time seeing it, and Mm -hmm. uh, I remember one of the things that, like, one of the standout complaints that I had about it the first time I saw it, whether this makes any sense or not, is that uh, I found it annoying, like, it grated on my nerves that, like, in a lot of the scenes with the kids, it's like everybody is talking at the same time over one another and arguing and... It was just like, I feel like it was a sensory overload the first time I saw it. And that's one of the big sticking points I always had is like, I just found it annoying. Is that still with this viewing as well? No, not really. I can't, I can't say that I felt that way this time. I mean, it's obviously still there, like, but it didn't mm-hmm. bother me this time around. Um, well, I'm going to agree with old Millsy <laughs> because I have not seen this movie in so long. I kind of just forgot. I spent so much of this movie, like. Not even like catching what was being said because those fucking kids are <laughs> yeah. all screaming almost the entire time. All of them talk weird, you know, for different reasons. <laughs> and I like multiple times I was in watching the movie and I'm thinking to myself and I'm like, if I was like a character in this movie and I was like in this scene, I would have just been like, shut up, shut the <laughs> fuck up, like multiple times. Yeah. And I was just like, I was like. I have a feeling this is like Millsy's complaint about this. That is the standout thing I remember like annoying me about it the first time I saw it was I just, mm-hmm. I couldn't stand the fact that everyone was just talking over one another. And it's like whenever there was any dialogue that needed to happen, he would, ju- uh, Richard Donner would just say go. And then all the kids would scream and 
hopefully you'd be able to hear the uh, the relevant dialogue from the one that needed to say something. And I'm not entirely sure that's accurate. That that, <laughs> that, that does get across. Because uh, I was like, damn, I was like, did I ever feel this way like before? I don't even remember. But it's like, man, when you're just trying to like, even just like Chunk, like every time Chunk talks, I'm just like, what did he even just say? <laughs> like, it's just like kind of blew my mind. That being said, I actually do enjoy this movie. I think like it, it makes sense why, you know, it's so many people hold it so like near and dear because mm-hmm. it is like fun adventure and like, you know, pirate treasure and, you know, going through caves and all that. Like I get it, but I was kind of like blown away myself just being like, I can't believe how like difficult this is. Is I was like, am I just an old bastard now? <laughs> well, that's kind of the feeling that I always had is like, I didn't see it when I was younger. And like, I guess if like, if I was a kid, maybe that wouldn't have bothered me. And I would have like, uh, uh-huh. felt more like, Oh, I'm one of these kids. Like, this is just the way it is. You know? Yeah. You would have been right there screaming along with the rest of them. <laughs> Not seeing it until I was in high school. I just always remembered feeling like, I don't know, maybe this is just a movie you had to see when you were a kid <laughs> to really enjoy. And I, I don't necessarily think that that's the case after watching it again. I mean, it has been, you know, 20 something years since I last saw it probably. But, um, I, I can say that I still, like, I understand people saw this movie in mass when they were younger. It was a very popular movie when it came out and a lot of people saw it when they were kids. And, you know, it's easy for nostalgia to hold for something, even if it, you know, doesn't stand the test of time for everybody just based on you enjoying it when you're a kid. And I'm not saying that that's the only thing that this movie has going for it, not by a long shot, but I do feel like I'm at a disadvantage where I don't think I'll ever truly understand the like love, like the mm-hmm. adoration that people have for this movie because I didn't see it until I was like 17 or 18 or something. Yeah. And even like, well, like you said, like this came out the year you were born, but still, you know, young enough to be like, yeah, you'd roll around bikes with your friends and look for trouble and go through like your... You know, I can remember like going through my grandparents' like attic, looking at old shit they had up there. You know, like could anyone yeah. could have found a treasure map? Yeah. So there's like a lot of like it's it's all like tropes and things that I recognize and things that I enjoy and like there's you know humor beats and stuff that I enjoy about it and I do like a lot of the characters and things. It's just there is not that like little golden spot in the corner of my heart that when I think of the Goonies, it just like opens up and shines light, <laughs> you know, at the heavens. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, uh, so like, yeah, I, I definitely did enjoy it a lot more this time than I remembered, but yeah, it doesn't, if you don't have a soft, you don't have a soft spot for it. Exactly. Yeah. I, w- I was curious, like when I asked you before, if this was on one that you watched a lot, like what would have been your feeling on it? Like just recalling the movie, having not seen it in many, many years versus this viewing. I just can always like think of like loving the that sense of adventure, which is like the whole episode's about, but just the you know, I've always been into like old ships and like pirate treasure shit like that. So mm-hmm. that's like always been the main takeaway. Like like everyone knows sloth and like the creepy mom and shit and like when I was getting ready to watch it this time, I couldn't remember as like am I gonna have like a feeling of dread of like seeing any of this stuff and I didn't. Because I must have just don't think I ever found them like really scary or anything, but I just loved the whole, you know, them going down the slides inside the cave and shit and just, all, you know, kind of always loving the 
the big adventure of it. Mm-hmm. All that stuff just makes me think like that's just like built to appeal to kids. Like, uh, oh yeah, it just reminded me of like watching uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple when I was a kid and being like, man, I would love to run around that set that's made to look like the old timey tombs and mm. everything. Like, oh, there's a trap door and I slid down a giant slide and. <laughs> just like all the booby traps and stuff. That's just the kind of shit that I, I loved when I yeah, was a see, kid. That, I, that was after my time. I'm like just enough older than you, I think, to, to miss. Legends of the Hidden Temple. <laughs> yeah. Ne- never watched it. Me- it's Megan, uh, she knows that one because she's a little younger too. So that was like there's a certain sweet spot for like that where it's like, yeah, I'll think of. I probably my head would go right to Goonies, where like someone like Megan would just think of the uh, Legend of the Hidden Temple, you know. <laughs> my boy Olmec. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy to go back and look at this and see the cast. Oh yeah, this was not only Sean Astin but also J- uh, Josh Brolin's first film ever. Oh, was it for both oh, of them? Yeah, same for Carrie Green, who plays uh, Josh Brolin's love interest, but. Mm-hmm. That's just wild. You know, this is the the movie that gave us Josh Brolin, who, yep. you know, former guest host of Triple Threat Theater, Tony Sedani, has uh, chosen as the greatest actor of our generation. He has. As you'll recall. He, he has said that. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, I completely forgot Joe Pantoliano is in this. Oh, yeah. Totally. Pretty early movie for him. The other brother. Scarface guy from Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Robert Dobby. I was going to say never known his name, but. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's in Die Hard. He's the main villain in the James Bond movie License to Kill. Yes. He's in a ton of action movies like Action Jackson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's in a couple of the Maniac Cop movies. Yeah, he's just totally one of those that guy actors from the time. And then, so you mentioned uh, their mother, the uh, Mama Fratelli. Mm-hmm. She's like kind of the creepy looking old mom. Man, I'm watching the movie and I'm like, I what else have I seen her in? She's so recognizable from something. And I'm looking at the at her like IMDb list of credits and I'm just like, what could it be? She's not in a ton of things. Is am I just remembering her from when I saw the Goonies before? But then all of a sudden it hit me. Uh, I don't think you've actually seen the movie, but I know you're familiar with the clip. The Wes Craven film Deadly Friend. Where the girl, oh. the girl that's a robot, throws the basketball at the old lady's head, and oh. it just like explodes her head. That's the old lady who gets her oh, head exploded. Shit. Oh, I have seen like watched that a shitload when I was younger. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's Mama Fratelli and Ramsey. Oh. <laughs> that's like the one other thing I've seen oh, her in. I would love it if that was the only two things she's ever been in. <laughs> Those are the only two things better. I think I've ever seen her in. So, God, I got to see that movie again too. <laughs> oh yeah, I watched that a bunch. Yeah, I didn't see that one until recently myself, but many, many times before I saw the movie, I had seen the gif online of her getting her head pulped by a basketball. Pulped. Damn, Mama Fratelli. (laughs) One of the things, like, just another thing that uh, immediately makes this movie feel familiar and comfortable is uh, it's got that 80s, uh, like, family movie trope where back then... People were obsessed with the idea of like crazy Rube Goldberg machines and weird gadgetry. Yes. Because like that. uh, Gremlins. Yeah. Yeah. Gremlins where the father is an inventor with all the crazy things that he builds. 
all the shit that Doc Brown builds, like uh, in the opening of Back to the Future, where you see that crazy machine that uh, dumps the dog food into Einstein's dish and makes coffee and everything, and it like half doesn't work. Yep. This oh, yeah, has kids. Yeah. this has data who has like all the weird gadgets and stuff, but also that like completely unnecessarily complicated machine to uh, open the front gate uh-huh. at uh, the main at Sean Astin's house. Mm-hmm. Even you know I <laughs> I've uh, recently watched a bunch of the Ernest movies in my spare time because that's the kind of thing that I do, and. Uh, in those films, Ernest isn't like some kind of genius and he's not like friends with a scientist like Doc Brown or something. But in pretty much every movie, he builds or owns some kind of crazy contraption that does like completely menial tasks like a Rube Goldberg machine. It's just that is so an 80s like family movie trope. Yeah. And it, like I don't understand what the reason is for them to have that crazy thing to open the front gate of the house, but I like it nonetheless. Oh God, yeah. Anytime you see though any of those movies we've mentioned, that stuff happens. I love it. Mm-hmm. I know he's got like the he's got the friggin' boxing glove thing, and the, <laughs> he's got a plun- plunger gun. I mean, he's got all types of shit. The uh, the chattering teeth toy on the end of a <laughs> like a spring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like I like I was kind of saying, when they get into the uh, the caves, it just kind of turns into, you know, it, it's like this appeals to a kid because a kid would love to run around in a place like this. Like if this mm-hmm. was a theme park and it was like a, almost like a haunted house kind of environment that you could run around in and slide down the slides and solve little puzzles and stuff. It's yeah. just, that's what kids want to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I don't even really feel like it's explained that well in the movie why it's called the Goonies, why they call themselves the Goonies, why they refer to the place that they live as the Goon Docks. Like, it's stuff yeah. that's mentioned, but it's not fully explained. Uh-huh. And I feel like that's also kind of an 80s movie thing where it was just like an idea that someone had in the script writing phase yeah. and they didn't bother to have like a ton of exposition about it. Like, here's why we're called the Goonies. Yeah, it just is what it is. Where yeah, they would have. Certainly have over-explained it nowadays. Mm-hmm, for sure. You know, this was pre-CG, so all of the, like, crazy machinery and all of the sets and, like, sloth, all that stuff is practical. Mm-hmm. I mean... The the end cave set with the boat and everything is awesome. Yeah, that was a real functioning life-size pirate ship, by the way. Ugh. Uh, which, I mean, I don't know how else they would have been able to pull it off because you see so much of it and like them on it. But uh, when I read that, I was just like, man, that's fucking insane. It took like two and a half months to build. And, um, when the filming was over, uh, the production offered it to anyone who would take it. Like literally they said, if anybody wants this, you can have it just so we don't have to destroy it. Nobody wanted it. So they destroyed the ship no just because like uh. who like where who would take that what could you possibly do with it i mean it's true unless but... they took it and put it in a theme park like the fucking house from uh um psycho or something <laughs> or the boat that's from what Jaws. it would be which i'm sure if that thing was someone would consider that boat priceless now oh absolutely still around for sure but you know back then i know when that movie's gonna be uh you know part of the cultural zeitgeist but but yeah, with a giant thing like that, like what what are you possibly supposed to do with yeah. it? Like even like uh, the Queen Alien was an enormous prop in Aliens, and uh, only the head survived. And, oh, uh, really? Yeah, I can't remember the name of the guy, but there's a dude. He's in the special features on the like Alien Legacy box set. They do like a walkthrough of his house. He's this dude who was like peripherally uh, related to um, 
like the movie industry lives in California. I, I'd like to say that he's still alive, but I'm not even a hundred percent sure at this point. Cause he was pretty old. I think when they made the documentary on the, uh, the box set, but, uh, he just became the guy who like collected movie props and didn't want the stuff to be destroyed. So when productions would end, he would get a call just like, Hey, you want to come over here and get this stuff? Otherwise we're just going to throw it away. Jesus. And his entire fucking house is just like priceless items, miniatures and spaceships and monster suits. And, and he was the one who ended up with the queen alien head. And I remember reading the trivia that, um, when they made alien resurrection, they didn't want to pay like the money to build a new queen alien head. And so they borrowed the original one from him. And that's the only reason that the queen alien was in resurrection. But uh, like, you know, you can do that with like, okay, so the queen aliens head is huge. I'm sure, but it's not a pirate ship, you know? Right. Right. But it's like, it's like a function. Like, yeah, it was a, it like it floated. It was watertight. It, like you could sail it like a pirate ship. Like they built a real pirate ship, from what I was reading, and then they just you know turned it into kindling or whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. what are you just supposed to do with that? <laughs> There's also the anecdote you hear or you can read multiple versions of that they specifically didn't let the cast, like the kids, see the pirate ship until they shot the scene where they walk in and see it, so they could get their true reactions and. You read varying takes. One of the more popular ones is that when they saw it, Josh Brolin said, like, holy shit or something. So they had mm. to refilm it, which mm-hmm. I kind of don't believe because I also read the uh, the tidbit that allegedly the word shit is in this movie 19 times already anyway. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't make sense then. Yeah. But um, like apparently they did do that where they like the first time all the kids saw the ship was that when they filmed that shot and had them walk in. But they didn't end up using that first shot for whatever reason. They like used the second take or something. I mean, there could be F-bombs in there for all I know with the amount of screaming all those goddamn kids do. (laughs) I know. Uh, One of the interesting things I read is that uh, apparently all of the uses or the majority of the uses of the word shit or bullshit are said during scenes where the kids are screaming over top of one another, which again is like all of them. And allegedly the reason for that was uh, Steven Spielberg had him do that on purpose so that if uh, like television stations were going to air the show, it would be easier to like overdub and like cut out the cursing because there's already so much noise Mm -hmm. going on anyway. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't know if that's true, but I read that. (laughs) I mean, makes sense. But I mean, like through all of these movies, like we kind of talked about how, you know, once upon a time there was the idea of the latchkey kids and, you know, kids were allowed to run around the neighborhood and do whatever as long as they were home by dinner. And now everybody's like much more protective and cautious and, you know, everybody has their kids like uh, GPS on on their phones. They can find them all the time and everything. Uh, And, like, don't let them go out unless they know exactly where they're going to be and all this stuff. And, like, that kind of translates to movies as well, where these days, in order for something to get, like, a G or a PG, it has to be pretty sanitized, I feel. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, would you agree with me that The Goonies is one of the most beloved and popular and well-loved family kids films of all time? Oh, for sure. This movie has murder it has an extensive scene of one of the kids trapped in a freezer with a corpse, like someone who has been <laughs> murdered by the mob. It has children being threatened by guns. It has 19 instances of the word shit, if you believe that statistic. And most of them, if not all of them, are said by the kids themselves. 
and people love this movie and it's still like a time honored like classic like yeah why are we so afraid to have like a little bit more <laughs> edge to our kids movies these days i wonder i don't know where it all started to turn away but i mean it goes right back to the fucking et thing where the fbi agents all have guns and then at some point steven spielberg like you know, got cold feet and went back in and CG'd them all into flashlights and then later on again realized how stupid it was and went back and changed it again. Yeah. No, you're completely right. But, you know, the 80s were nothing like them. I couldn't, I couldn't help thinking that through, like, all of these movies as I watched them, that there's, especially this and Adventures in Babysitting, where, you know, Adventures in Babysitting is, like, the kids in the inner city and there's, like, mobsters and, you know. Uh, oh, yeah you know, transients and things like that, that they're coming Mm -hmm. up against. And there's that whole subplot about everybody thinks that their babysitter is in Playboy magazine. (laughs) And there's like Playboy magazine is like a major part of the plot. And it's like, Oh yeah. No way would that be in a kid's movie today? Oh God, no. That movie might be PG 13, but still like that was a family film, Mm -hmm. like four kids. (laughs) That really happened now that babysitter be in jail. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. But, uh, uh, it's something I couldn't stop thinking about as I watched these, uh, especially oh, yeah. back to back to back. But. Mm-hmm. The 80s. What a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Literally. One other tidbit I read about this movie. So <laughs> did you notice, like I did, at the end when uh, the kids have like escaped the cave and like everyone is meeting them on the beach? One of them, I forget which one, is like just like rambling on about all the things that they experienced. And one of them involved a giant octopus. Did you hear that part? Yes. Yeah. In that moment I was thinking, Oh, is this just supposed to be like kids? Like they exaggerate everything. So we obviously know there was no giant octopus scene, but he's saying there is apparently there were a lot of sequences cut either from the script or that were filmed. And one of them was indeed an encounter with a giant octopus. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've seen they did film the octopus. They filmed scene, the correct? octopus, yeah. Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, I guess the script was like super long. I, the I guess for, pretty long. Like for every page of a script, that's like a minute of the film is like generally the idea. And so I think the script for this was over two hundred pages, which would have been over two hundred minutes of film. And so I know they cut some stuff from the script before they even filmed it, but then I'm a little surprised they would like film a giant octopus scene and then not put it in the movie. Yeah, I agree. But it's like, you know, I had this memory of, okay, they get into the underground caves and it's just like, you know, room after room after room of crazy stuff. But when you really stop and think about it, they dilly dally in a lot of those places. Like when they're under the well, they're there for a good long time. I was just going to say, yeah, like they don't like do a whole lot. No. In the caves. Like the kids talk about how One-Eyed Willie and his men spent like six years down there tunneling and making booby traps or whatever before he killed all of his men to like keep them from stealing the gold. And it's like in six years, they managed to build like four rooms and a slide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Cause it really feels like, you know, they, they get down there and they're in the room with the pipes. And then there's the room where the, uh, the rocks all fall down from the ceiling and mm-hmm. there's the bats. And then they're under the well, they go down a slide, they do the piano and then they're in the room. Oh, well, there's the the room with the water flowing where they go across a little bridge. And mm-hmm. then they're at the then they're at the pirate ship. It's like there's there's not a lot to it. I don't I don't know if this is really a criticism. It's just like thinking back on it, I thought it was much more complicated than it yeah, is. I would think I feel like they spend a shitload more time like in the restaurant 
yeah, than they do than I ever down remembered there. for sure. Which, and, and if you think about like you're writing this movie, you would you'd spend so much more time in the caves, but they really don't. And like you said, there's a lot of dilly dallying because the movie's about two hours. Feels like that scene that's under the well goes on forever. Mm-hmm. You know, freaking kids are yelling at each other, or over each other the entire time. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a fun cast. Um, it's not a movie where I was ever like, I don't get why people like this. Just it, it, it has never been like an all-time favorite of mine. I definitely liked it more this time around for sure. Would you say you liked it less this time around? No. I just think I was way more, like, clued into, like, finding the kids annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It didn't necessarily, like, ruin it for me, but there were certainly parts where I was like, I don't even know what the hell any of them are saying. Or if it even matters, I guess it probably doesn't. But. A lot of the times I would say it doesn't, and it's just yeah. for effect that it's, like, it's right. absolute chaos when these kids are together. But there were, like, t- literally times, like, I'm sitting on the couch, I'm like, oh, God, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Yeah, like, it makes me wonder if you turned on the subtitles for this movie, like, what, like, during the scenes where the kids are all talking on top of one another, would it just say in parentheses, like, arguing, or would it have, like, an actual line of dialogue you're supposed to pick out of the noise? I, like, legitimately thought about doing it and just decided not to. I was like, no, no, it's just gonna make (laughs) me crazier, so. Yeah. But still, all in all, it's, it's the Amblin effect, you know, it is still what it is, it's still that. Big adventure with pirate ships and gold. I mean, I was still into it. Mm-hmm. You know, still enjoyed it. Yeah. Nineteen million dollar budget made one hundred and twenty five million in the box Shoot. office. Jesus, a shitload of nineteen eighty five dollars right there, Millsy. Yeah, it was one of the ten highest grossing movies of nineteen eighty five. I think it was actually not super close to the top, but uh, oh, it was on the list. Enough. I mean, movies are just huge in back then. Yeah. Still are, of course. I mean, but. that was the year of Back to the Future, which was the highest yeah. grossing movie of the year. That was one of those ones that I think, like, it took off and then it just stayed in theaters for a super long time because people would just go see it again and again. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's how a movie like E.T. or Back to the Future made a shitload of money back then. Yeah. Nothing else to do. Let's yeah. Just go to the movies again. Mm-hmm. I dig it. Right on. Uh, movie number two. Please. Coming out just about a month later, July 12th, 1985, we have Explorers. <laughs> What's so funny? That was great. That was incredible. Next time, next time we'll bring more air. Next we'll time? Higher, and we'll explore. Listen, Ben, I'm not going to get in that thing again until we find out exactly where those programs are coming from. And we need to run tests. Yes. We have to run hundreds upon hundreds of serious tests. You know, it could take years. What are you talking about? That was the most important thing that ever happened. Couldn't you feel it? That feeling way inside? We were flying. Come on, Ben, make some sense. We almost didn't come back. But we did come back. Here we are. What do you think? We should trust the dream, right? Sorry, man. I want to live. So, yeah, again, uh, saw this maybe like 10 or 15 years, probably like 15 years ago now, and um, remembered the very bare minimum. Like, it it just didn't leave much of an impression on me. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you said that you watched this more than, say, The Goonies when you were a kid. Yeah. 
How much of a recollection did you have and how big of a fan were you up until this point? So it's funny. So it's always been like, I've always been aware of this movie. You know, it's been, it could easily be 30 years since I've seen it. (laughs) But I, it was like, this is such a weird experience for me because watching it, like opening, like literally before watching this, I probably could have drawn their spaceship. Hmm. To like it, I'm also going to say it's like 70, 75% accuracy. I was <laughs> yeah. like so well versed, like the luggage on the top, the TV middle thing, the the washing machine ports, the trash can, the tilt-a-whirl, like the tire. I remembered all of it. <laughs> and even like thinking back to me, like growing up as like a tinkerer and like liking movies where they build shit and like still liking that, you know, like. When I try to think of like what's like the formative tissue of that for me, I was like, maybe like stuff is like stuff like the explorers, like kids building random shit in movies I've always liked. Well, this is another clear example of what we were talking about in the Goonies, where it's like, you know, it could have been a lot simpler than it is, but they have mm-hmm. that whole scene where they go to the junkyard and they're like cobbling together oh, yeah. like unnecessarily complicated stuff for this little ship that they're gonna have. And even the River Phoenix character, uh, Wolfgang, and like he is like an amateur scientist and builds shit in his basement. It just all of it has that vibe of like Doc Brown and like cobbled together oh, yeah. machinery and totally like a kid with a computer that no one would have, you know. Yeah, that was just like an absolute obsession back in the day with these movies. And I wonder if that vibe doesn't really exist anymore because nowadays you can look up how to build anything online and right. you can 3D print anything you possibly want. <laughs> Pretty much, unfortunately. <laughs> or just buy it on Amazon and have yeah. it delivered to your house. Like, there's no reason to build, like, a uh, you know, computer out of spare parts in your basement like there once was. So, like, you know, before watching it again, thinking of the spaceship, like, just so, like, remembered that so vividly. I couldn't quite remember, like, how anything comes about. Like, I forgot the whole, like dream sequence of the circuitry or like even that it's the the sphere i remembered that it was you know it was the spheres what did it and they just built something to sit in but Mm -hmm. i didn't remember like it was they made it on the computer or the the dream sequence and even when i'm watching it i could not for the life of me remember what the second half of the movie was it was almost (laughs) like i was watching it for the first time it just was completely escaped my memory yeah I would say that the part of the movie I remembered most was like the ending, mm-hmm. which oh, it's complete opposite for me. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that a little more when we get deeper into the review. But um, yeah, I mean, all the stuff in the beginning, I really enjoy, like, you know, kind of outcast kids meeting one another, becoming mm-hmm. friends, discovering this thing, building something, all that sense of like wonder and like anything is possible, even if you're a kid. Just that, you know, small town, you know, suburbia vibe that pretty much all of these movies have. E.T. has it. Goonies has it. This has it. Mm. All that stuff is great. Similar to The Goonies, uh, this was the film debut of not only Ethan Hawke, but River Phoenix. Mm-hmm. First movie for both of them. Pretty crazy. Nope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Directed by Joe Dante, who gave us Gremlins. Um, I mean... I'm, there might be even more Spielbergy connections than that, but uh, got to be got to be some some fingers in the, the pie there somewhere. Yeah, but uh, like I would say that the uh, 
the the biggest uh, connection that I have to this movie, especially in recent years, is you know I I listened to uh, Joe Dante's podcast, the movies that made me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just so happens that you know his filmography comes up because he's a host of the show, and you know those are the experiences he's had in Hollywood. I'm pretty sure they actually had the uh, director or the writer of this movie, Eric Luke on the show one time, or he might've been on another podcast that, uh, um, Joe Dante was a part of or something. And, you know, they talked about how, uh, the ending of the movie was originally completely different and Joe Dante came on and wanted to change it. And I I guess from what Joe Dante was saying, the ending of the film was originally like they find the aliens and they're just kids like them and they play baseball and like, that's the end. But Joe Dante felt that that like wasn't enough for the movie. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, knowing that he's like such a big fan of like Looney Tunes and shit, it's not too surprising that it went in the pop culture direction. And again, that's the part of the movie that I kind of remember the most, but not because I remember it fondly. Like the first time I saw the movie, I remember feeling like, I think like pretty much all audiences did when they saw it, that uh, I wasn't really into the ending. I didn't really get why that's where they went with it. Uh, How do you feel about the ending now? Like, rediscovering it if that was the part that you remembered the least i absolutely hate the second half of this movie (laughs) oh really i am so on board with this movie as the whole building of the ship and everything and everything that comes with that i hate when when they get to the spaceship i think the entire thing is ugly i hate that it's just like the kid aliens with the the doing stand up and i hate the creature designs and <laughs> it's just yeah, like their their kids like stole their dad's spaceship i i hate it milzy <laughs> milzy i hate it yeah no movie i don't know if any movie on triple threat history takes such a dive after the first half like this <laughs> does for me and i was like is this why i don't remember this cuz i hated it then too i don't even know yeah, I feel like I there, there's probably got to be like dozens of ways they could have gone that would have been better than this. But um, oh, it's just the once as soon as they get land in the ship, it's just like nothing. I feel like nothing interesting happens. It's an I I mean, I find the aliens annoying anyway, but just like the design, the interior of the other ship is just kind of like dark and depressing and just like not fantastical at all. And then you see these two goofball aliens that are just like, like they're super goofy and animated and just like, yeah, maybe it could be like a Looney Tunes kind of thing or something. You know, there's like, of course we love our practical effects here. And certainly that there's a lot of practical effects going on with these getups, but like, I hate this kind of creature design. I also hate that it's like, it's supposed to be an alien, but it's like two arms, two legs, five fingers, two eyes, a nose, a mouth, two ears. You know what I mean? Like, But those eyes are on eye stalks. It's not human. They have suction cups on the end of their fingers. I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. Oh, such like a, it just uh, it just doesn't even feel like the same movie. Yeah, at in that point. in this film, I feel like the design was really poor. Like those designs are kind of fun looking, and in another film with a different tone or something, I feel like could have worked oh. better. But yeah, let me let me read you what I've got written down here about the production of the film and potentially what went wrong. Okay, 
So according to Joe Dante, he and the writer Eric Luke decided to change the ending of the film and were told by executives, we can work on it while we're making the picture, which led to a lot of improvisation. So they didn't even have an ending while they were making the movie. Well, that's always a recipe <laughs> for disaster. Uh, then there was a change of leadership at Paramount in the middle of production, and they decided to move the release of the film up almost two months, telling Joe Dante and company, uh, quote, just stop editing the picture. We're going to put it out, and we've got a perfect date for it, and it will make a lot of money. How does that even work? <laughs> Entire subplots, such as more family stuff, and Ben had a brother that I think is mentioned. And you do see him. He's the kid in the car at the drive-in, but they never mention that that's his brother. Like, they cut oh. out the fact that that is his brother. Like, so he's in there, but they had, like, entire subplots with the family that they cut out. Uh, some scenes were even redubbed to help the movie make more sense. Like, at the end, after the kids come back to Earth and there's that scene where they're, like, talking under the tree, you'll notice that there's, like, no close-ups in that scene. That's because they dubbed dialogue to try and make the ending make sense because they didn't get to do like all the connecting sequences they wanted to oh jesus uh and then the film was released the week after back to the future which as we mentioned was a massive success and the highest grossing film of 1985 and it also came out the same weekend as the live aid concert which joe dante feels also hurt the movie it disappeared from theaters quickly but did manage to find an audience on cable and uh, from video rentals. But uh, this movie had a 20 to $25 million budget, $9.9 million oh, box office. That's a shitload of money back in 85, too. That was more yeah. than the Goonies. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm, <sighs> I'm not saying that this movie, like, deserved to be a bigger smash, because, like you, I think that the second half is pretty weak. Like, they got to the spaceship a lot faster than I thought they would as well. Movie's like an hour and 45 minutes, and, um, like, I was thinking that the last, like, 20 minutes would be on the spaceship, but it's mm -hmm. a good, it's close to the second half of the movie. Oh, yeah. and Yeah, it's just, that, the first half of this film is so promising. Like, oh, if, it really is. If somehow, like, uh, you know, I was watching it and, like, the power went out right as they're, like, taking off to go into outer space... And I never went back and rewatched it. I would probably think this is an amazing film. <laughs> it's it's like I want to ask my brothers. Like, did we just used to shut this off at this point? Like, they got into space and that's the end of the movie. Like, I just have a barely any memory of that. Yeah, and I just always have just not liked it because it's just it was so like glaringly bad to me watching it. I was like kind of dumbfounded. Like, I can't believe it. Mm -hmm. This first half of the movie, so this first, the first half of the movie, like, feels like it could have been Stranger Things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, because I don't feel like this one is as well viewed as uh, The Goonies, for example, um, it's basically, uh, Ethan Hawke is a kid in school, and one night he has uh, this dream that he's, like, flying over a giant circuit board, and he wakes up and quickly scribbles down whatever he can remember, gives the drawing to his friend uh, Wolfgang, played by River Phoenix, who's like, uh, his whole family is like kind of nerdy Geniuses. scientist type of people, yeah. And so he cobbles together a computer in his basement, and whatever this means, he inputs the data <laughs> that Ethan Hawke gave him, just figuring like, oh, you dreamt this, it's not going to be anything. But then what it turns out to be is 
it's like a a means of transportation like what basically what they like when they put this information into the computer it creates a little it's like a perfect sphere they can change the size of it so the first time you see it it's like maybe the size of a golf ball mm-hmm. but then they eventually make it big enough that all three of the kids can put like a you know kit bashed ship in it and like fly around it's airtight there's also like schematics that he dreams up for like a thing that creates oxygen for them mm-hmm. when they're inside of it and it's all controlled by a computer with the idea being that since it's not run by like an engine or something like they explain that, you know, when you, when you drive a car, you can go zero to 60 in X amount of time, depending on the engine and the build of the car. But this, since they're just typing in like coordinates, the thing can move like from one place to another without like any G's kind of. So you don't even feel like the acceleration and it can move very quickly. It can move on any axis stop on a dime. And, uh, like what they eventually learn is that, I mean, they never say why it it, it goes to Ethan Hawke in his dream. Mm-hmm. It's kind of insinuated in like a kind of oh shucks kind of way that the aliens somehow find like kids who are like worthy and innocent <laughs> mm-hmm. that we might like to meet and like tell like beam down the uh, the dreams into their heads because Dick Miller from Gremlins and a billion other 80s movies, Terminator, The Howling. He plays an older guy who you think he's going to be kind of a villain because he's like trying to track down the kids after people think that they saw a UFO when it was just the kids flying around having fun in their ship. And uh, like you you feel like, oh, he's going to find them and like try and put them in jail or sell them out to the government or something. But then you learn, oh, no. He, when he was a kid, he had these things beamed into his head as well. And he's like always wondered what they meant, but never acted on them. So he has this sense of wonder of like, good, go get them kids. Like, I'm glad you're doing this too. Like all that stuff is great. (laughs) It's just when they get to the spaceship, it's like, uh, I I feel like it's been either parodied or homaged or another movie or show has done a very similar thing, but it's. I guess it's there's there's a Futurama episode uh, where there's some aliens who come to destroy Earth because uh, they get television signals of essentially like a ripoff of Ally McBeal called Single Female Lawyer. And um, <laughs> but because of how far away they are from Earth, the transmissions are like, I don't, I don't know, I don't remember if it's like five years behind or 10 years behind or something. And this TV show, Single Female Lawyer, that the aliens love watching had gotten canceled. And so the aliens decide to come to Earth and threaten, we're going to blow up your planet unless you make more of this show for us to watch. And so it's kind of like, oh, there's aliens out there and they they watch our TV shows. It's kind of like this, where the alien kids have been observing through television uh, what our planet is like. And so when the earth kids go and meet them. They speak in quotes and like catchphrases and they talk like Uh, television advertisers and terrible. It's like, it's not necessarily the worst idea in the world. I definitely don't think it works with the setup that this movie had. Yeah. It's done. It's not the worst idea, but the, like that would have been a good twilight zone episode. Yeah. The, uh, it goes on way too long and it's too annoying and it's just doesn't fit. And it's like the, the main character that Ethan Hawke plays, Ben, 
it's like he has always like wondered about outer space and like wants to grow up and be an astronaut and discover what's out there. And he loves reading and watching science fiction. And is just like fascinated by outer space and just like the mysteries of the universe. So he like, can't wait to get up there. He gets on the ship. And then when he, he meets the aliens, he's kind of disappointed because instead of like, he thinks that like, Oh, I'm going to learn the mysteries of the universe or something. It's like they are just regurgitating shit that we have on Earth. So he's kind of disheartened and like mm-hmm. upset and sad by it. And like it's yeah. like he's sitting there. You can see in his face that he's excited to be meeting aliens. He's in outer space, but this is not at all what he kind of was hoping for. And I feel like that is exactly how audiences feel when they watch it. <laughs> it's kind of uh, yeah. fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's how I felt for a movie I would have told you I loved growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just, it was such an experience for me to watch it and be like, it just doesn't even make sense mm-hmm. how it could, it drops off so bad and is like painful to watch. Yeah. It, it And it does have that feeling of like, I would really be curious actually to read the script, like the original script before they changed the ending. Cause mm-hmm. like, you know, what Joe Dante said again was that like the kids meet the aliens and they are like kid aliens that contacted them, but then they play like baseball together. Like that doesn't sound great, but I wonder in the context of the script, like how it would have flowed together with the rest of the movie. Whereas this definitely feels like somebody else's script up until a point and then Looney Tunes and like old timey movie obsessed Joe Dante comes up with a new ending. And it just, it's like, you know, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter, you got your peanut butter and my chocolate, but they don't taste great together. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the best way to put it, man. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, God. God damn it. <laughs> Uh, Joe Dante has said that he is appreciative of the reception that the film now has because it has become like a cult film. Uh, But he says, quote, the problem for me is that the movie you'll see is not the movie I wanted to make. It's the movie I got to make up to a certain point and then had to stop. It's hard for me to look at it because it's not the film I had in mind. And he has searched for years for the missing and cut footage, but presumes that it's permanently lost because I guess he wanted to do like a director's cut and put back in. I think he said there was like uh, the original cut, like the first cut they did of the movie was like three hours and 10 minutes long. So there's like a lot more stuff. And I'm not going to say I want to see a three hour and 10 minute version of this movie, but like if there's more like family stuff and character development, like that could be good. But the thing is, that's not what the problem with the movie is. The problem with the movie isn't that, oh, it feels like Ben should yeah. have had a brother. No. Yeah, it definitely is not. Or there should be more family scenes. It's that the ending is not yeah, satisfying. Pay- it is not a good payoff. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Which I can't even say I hate the movie, though, because I love the first half. Mm-hmm. So, man, a conundrum. It's just one of those things where, like, you know, if you think, if someone's like, hey, what are your favorite 80s movies? It'll never jump to mind because it's tainted by that second half. Yeah, pretty much. But, yeah, it's just, mm, it could have been, it it could have been great. I don't know what the ending should have been, but what they did is not it. It's no Flight of the Navigator, that's for sure. (laughs) Uh, I've actually never seen Flight of the Navigator. (gasps) We have that in a trifecta, right? We must. We probably do, but uh, I can't say for sure. Oof, <laughs> like the most right. I've ever seen of that movie is from that uh, 
In Search of Tomorrow documentary that I mm. crowdfunded. <laughs> they did a segment on it. Man, that was another one for me. Yeah. Big time rotation. <laughs> Not this guy. Mm-hmm. All right. It's been written down on a post-it note. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Anything else on uh, Explorers? No, please. All right. Final film. Coming two years later in 1987, we have Adventures in Babysitting. Cool. Great. We'll get off at the next stop. Now don't you even think about getting off this train, Mokoso. Only people going to be getting off this here train going to be doing it in body bags. Yes. Yes. How you sound? This is our train. Yeah, well, your train is rolling in our turf. So what? So as soon as we cross Devereaux Street, you and your girls here is dead meat. Woo! We're going to run now. They're going to kill each other. They kill us doing it. There goes Jefferson. Here goes Jackson. Here comes Devereaux. Metamano! Oh, excuse me. I couldn't help but notice that you two groups of people are about to start killing each other. And I was wondering if you could please just wait on that until we could get off the train. Sit down, bitch. Yeah. Bitch, sit down. Yeah. Are you going to let him get away with that? Wait a minute. I was kidding. Uh, that was really rude. Uh, take it back. Apologize. Yeah, right. Go ahead, stay out of this. He called you a bitch. Fred, shut up! Hey, listen to the bitch, Brad. Watch your mouth. You, you big city scum sucker. Ooh. You just can't keep your foot out your mouth, can you, boy? Let me help. Don't fuck with the lords of hell. With the babysitter. Uh, as I mentioned, this one is directed by Chris Columbus, mm-hmm. who also gave us Home Alone, Miss Doubtfire, uh, the first two Harry Potters. He directed the Adam Sandler movie Pixels, which I didn't know. Oh, <laughs> never, never seen that one. Not too excited yeah, no, to watch it. Not, not, not going to go ahead and write that on the post note. Yeah, he also directed Bicentennial Man, which I've never seen. Oh, me neither. <laughs> and looks kind of. Kind of cringy from everything I've seen, but <laughs> who knows? Uh. And uh, written by a guy named David Simpkins. I couldn't find a whole lot from him. Hmm. Okay. But uh, yeah, so apparently Chris Columbus, at this point, he had written The Goonies. He'd written Gremlins. He'd written a couple of other things. He was like thick as thieves with Spielberg and those guys and decided he wanted to make the transition to directing. Mm-hmm. And according to him, I don't know if this is exaggerated, but he said that he read like a hundred scripts before he decided on this one to be his first directing gig. Okay. And the reason he chose this over a lot of the others was he felt comfortable with the scale. So I guess he was like nervous about his first time and he didn't want it to be like some sci-fi epic or something. He just wanted like some kids running around in the mm. city. Okay. So. It's not, not an outrageous idea. Yeah. Uh, so for anybody who doesn't know, because I didn't until I just watched it, uh, basic premise here is that Elizabeth Shue is a high school girl who gets stood up by her boyfriend. Uh, they were supposed to go out on a date to a fancy restaurant in the city. So then she, ta- she decides to take a last minute request from somebody to babysit 
their young daughter and uh, like teenage son. And uh, while she's there babysitting, she gets a call from a friend who is, uh, she ran away from home and now she doesn't have any money and she's like changed her mind and needs to get home. And so Elizabeth Shue, even though she knows it's a bad idea, decides to hop in her mom's car. She can't leave the kid she's babysitting alone, so she brings them and another kid who's friends with the son. And they drive to the city and then it becomes one of those... Like one crazy night, one thing goes mm-hmm. wrong after another, and it's like, can we get home before the parents do, so they don't know? Kind of situations. That is exactly it. Yeah, it's just like a. There's a billion movies like that. Mm-hmm. The one that always jumps to mind for me is uh, After Hours, the Martin Scorsese movie. It's, I've never seen that. One. Doesn't have the babysitting angle, but it's just one of those <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. You know, the sun sets in the city and then this guy's just trying to get home and everything possible goes wrong. Mm. It's just like these movies, honestly, they have a tendency to stress me out <laughs> just because it's yes. like all the yes. character wants to do is get home. And just like you just know as you're watching it, like uh, for the first two thirds of this movie, it's just going to be roadblock after roadblock. Like you can't sit down and mm-hmm. feel comfortable because you just know something's going to go wrong in the next oh, 10 minutes. Love it. And uh, I had, you know, this is pretty lighthearted. I had a little bit of that with this, though. Like, I, as I was watching it, I was, like, aware that I was probably more tense than I should have been <laughs> watching Adventures in it. Babysitting. I love it. <laughs> my uh, my sweet Megan had no idea of this, that this was a movie. Uh-huh. Maybe, I don't know, maybe half hour, 45 minutes in, she's like, this is not what I expected from the name. <laughs> in a good way or a bad way? Uh, a good way, but it was like, every five, six minutes, I was like, so what would you do in this situation? <laughs> to which she kept saying, she's like, I never would have left the house. <laughs> yeah. be like, oh, that is exactly about, like, her- the kind of thing I can imagine you asking someone while watching this movie, and that is exactly <laughs> the kind of response I would expect her to have to that oh, question. Yeah. It was like, I was like, it's like her best friend, Anna. I was like, if this Anna was, uh, what's her name at the, at the, uh bus station like you know in some homeless guy's house what would you do she's like i'd call you and tell you to go get her (laughs) (laughs) oh shit that's amazing yeah she was just like you know it was frequently just like oh my god oh god you know like all it takes is that flat tire milsey yeah don't i know it i mean i don't know i had a blast watching this just like i did growing up (laughs) Made me th- just think like it's it is that it is that thing that you've anyone's probably seen plenty of times where it's just like the steamroll effect or the you know go falling down a mountain you just keep going and going and going but you know within the course of like twelve minutes it goes from like flat tire guy with the hook hand shows up to help but you don't know if he's gonna kill them or not tows their car gets a call and ends up at his wife's house because she's fooling around on him. <laughs> you know, he's firing off truck. shots yeah. and then they yeah. jump into Put a random holes. car that happens to be in the midst of being hijacked so at the moment oh it's perfect uh, yeah <laughs> my man joe gipp stealing the car he takes him with him you know they end up at the chop shop and this a deal's gonna go down that they're getting out in the you know on the rafters and then the only reason the bad guys want them is because the one kid stole a playboy magazine <sighs> the playboy happens to have like mob numbers written in it or something it's like <laughs> the mob play uh, stolen cars <laughs> then you can't busy 
can't leave here without singing the blues. Man. I gotta say, if there's a scene in the movie that I wasn't crazy about, <laughs> how dare you? It's that. Oh, come on. Oh, I love it. I don't know. This is probably gonna sound like bogus. It's gonna be one of those things where like only Ryan would have this opinion, but <laughs> it goes a very I get that the opinion. <laughs> I get that the like the flow of this movie is like something goes wrong, then something more ridiculous goes wrong, and then by the end of the movie they're like hanging off the side uh, of a skyscraper. Like you build up to that. Uh-huh. But of all the things that could go wrong, like, okay, you happen to be in a car that's being carjacked, that could happen and it's like a scary thing and then like oh now the mob wants you like oh it's a mistaken situation but that could happen but then they run in through the back door of like a nightclub where there's like a blues band playing Mm -hmm. and the blues musician on the stage is like you can't leave until you sing (laughs) and i was just like what like if i'm those kids if i'm that babysitter like okay Yes, it's like it's a blues club and pretty much everybody in the place is black. And this is a group of four white kids from suburbia. Uh I understand maybe they're feeling a little intimidated, but the blues musician is a blues musician. He doesn't have like a gun to their head or something. I would be like, sorry, but there are mobsters chasing us who might kill us. Fuck you. I'm leaving. Like the, the staying and singing is it was like kind of cringy to me. I was just like, oh, oh this no. is so this doesn't belong. Oh, I love it. Keeps it keeps it lighthearted at that point for me. Oh. Yeah, if I had to cut yeah, any disagree. 5 minutes from the movie it would be that. <sighs> Oof. Personally. Yeah. It'd be a hard disagree here, but <laughs> Again, I mean that's you know what you I I don't know the experience of watching this a 1987 movie today. Yeah. That I've never seen before, but oh uh, no! I I mean I feel like I've been saying that line to anyone that will hear it for decades. Can't leave here without singing the blues. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, we're gonna have I to mean, agree yeah. disagree on that one. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> got from there. Then oh, then there's the the gang fight on the train. Mm-hmm. You know, kid gets get stabbed that, in the foot. Hope that's popping off. Stabbed in the foot. They go to the again, hospital. Like, this one might be rated PG-13. I don't remember. But still, like, this is a family film. It stars mm-hmm. kids. It's meant to be watched by kids. And this movie has the Playboy stuff. It has gangsters. It has one of the main characters getting stabbed. It has gang members. It has the F-bomb. It has mm-hmm. a prostitute scene. Like an underage prostitute. Like a 17-year-old girl <laughs> right. who's on the street. Oh, yeah. It. It just, but, but it like, I feel like this is a movie that I would, you know, I, I wouldn't expect a person to feel too uncomfortable showing to their kids. I mean, mm-hmm. it's on, uh, was this one on Disney plus? It was. Yeah. But it was, it was edited. Did, it, it did was you watch edited, it on? which yeah. we can talk about because I actually took notes on that. I, I read about it beforehand, but then it seemed more extensive than I read about. Cause I guess, uh, there was a TV version of this. That's been around for a long time where they made two specific changes from what I read. One of them is there's a line that someone says, don't fuck with the babysitter. Mm -hmm. And they change the line to don't fool with the babysitter. And then there was a part where someone calls someone a homo, but they changed it to weirdo. Mm -hmm. But then in addition to that, I noticed that they replaced asshole with airhead. 
there's a but there's at least four, five, six things that were edited yeah. in this Disney Plus version. They sure. replaced bitch with witch and they replaced god damn it with just plain damn it. Like they took out mm. the god. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I was like it's one of those things, it's been so long since I saw it that I like not until the scenes happened that I remember like, oh, there's a swear there that they've taken out. So it was like I noticed every time as yeah. it was happening. I was kinda like, damn, I wish I watched this some other way though. <laughs> Dizzy Plus, but yeah, you know I, I don't mind that stuff too much. It's yeah, it's pretty like, minor, but uh, yeah, but still, it's like this is a movie that's on Disney Plus, and this, like yeah, they take out the word fuck, but there's still like a scene where they, you know, the underage kid is talking to a prostitute and finds out she's underage, and there's like tons of mention of Playboy and all this stuff, and mm-hmm. like there's a a like a, a rowdy frat party that they're at with like a bunch of <laughs> boozing and stuff, and <laughs> the. Uh, the one high school age kid uh, making out with uh, the college age girl and, and like getting in a mm-hmm. fight with her boyfriend and oh yeah, this is a uh, certainly an eighties family movie. Yeah, like you said, it would not be the same today. I don't there there was a remake. I can only imagine it doesn't even get close to some of the stuff in this movie. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. So there was a quote unquote remake as a TV movie in twenty sixteen. But this was the premise that I read. Two teen rival babysitters, Jenny and Lola, team up to hunt down one of their kids who accidentally runs away into the big city without any supervision. Doesn't exactly sound like the same film. No, sir. I guess it's close enough that they were like, oh, we have to give them credit and use the same title. But I feel like you could have gotten away with that being completely unrelated to the original. Yeah, unless they wanted to try to get the (laughs) If they wanted that Adventures in Babysitting name value. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, in general, uh, love Elizabeth Shue. She's great. She's just mm-hmm. one of the consummate, like, 80s kind of oh, yeah. girlfriend, girl next door, you know, big sister kind of characters. She's in Karate Kid. She's in Back to the Future 2 and 3. She's in Cocktail. <laughs> mm, true, true. Uh, the kids I wasn't really familiar with. I guess the the friend, Daryl Coopersmith, he went on to be in a bunch of stuff, School Ties, Dazed and Confused. Twister. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Road Trip, A Beautiful Mind, but I wasn't really familiar with him. But I thought him, I thought all three of the, the younger kids were good, too. Oh, yeah. No, the, the four are very solid. What did you think of Thor, Mills? Um, the, the inclusion of Thor, which... In just in 80s, general, or like the scene where they actually, quote-unquote, meet Thor? Well, all of it, <laughs> but just even, you know, in the 80s, you're not seeing superheroes like you do today. Yeah. So I can remember being young and like being into comics when I was a kid thinking it was like the coolest thing. Like <laughs> Thor was the front and center in this thread throughout the movie. So that was like having not seen the movie, I'd only seen the poster. One of the only things I could tell you about it beforehand was that one of the kids was dressed as Thor because mm-hmm. it's on the poster. But um, I think I thought that was cool. I like that about it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how many people would have even known who Thor was back in the day because he's one of those characters. Oh, yeah. I feel like Iron Man and Thor were like B, almost maybe even oh, C-listers no. until they got movies. I, I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to say they're C or D-list. I mean, if you think <laughs> yeah. behind X-Men's and Spider-Man. Yeah, they're like the that. biggest thing in the world now, thanks to the movies. But yeah, right up until 2008 when Iron Man came out, I remember thinking like, he's a character that it would be pretty easy to make like a good movie about because it's just a guy in a robot suit. It's not that far mm-hmm. off from like, oh, the Rocketeer is a guy with a jetpack or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like not the first character I would go to from like, I want to see this made. 
Like that'd be more Spider-Man, well, X-Men, that kind of like, stuff. But I mean, I think they said back then that's why like they made Iron Man because like no one, no one else wanted to. I think like the yeah. New Line had the rights and they lapsed and they didn't <laughs> care. Like, yeah, no one gave a shit about any of those Avengers characters at the time. But yeah, I'd be curious to like if how many people even really knew who the hell Thor was when they saw this movie. Oh yeah, back in the day, oh for sure. But I guess, you know, the movie was written, like I said, by a guy named David Simpkins, but um, Christopher Columbus loves comic books and wanted to be a comic book artist when he was younger. And like, oh, there you go. For for whatever reason, you know, went into the film industry instead. But uh, like that's that was like an inclusion because of him, I guess. Uh, So I dig that stuff. I dig her wearing the helmet and all the Thor stuff throughout the movie. When Thor, quote unquote, Thor actually shows up at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, watched the scene, movie ended, went on IMDb, <gasps> looked it up, had no, no fucking clue who way. it was, even as I watched oh, him that's in amazing. the film. I, I just, I like looked at his fucking face for like five straight minutes during the scene and had no clue it was Vincent D'Onofrio. I mean, physique wise, I can't think of any seeing him that looking like that in any other movie, TV show, anything. So yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I had no idea it was him, even as I watched him. He's got that blonde, blonde hair. It must have been a wig or something. Yeah, I, I remember him feeling, he feels kind of weird and awkward, but I mean, I feel like Vincent D'Onofrio kind of has that vibe. He's yeah. like a little bit of an unusual character, like oh, for uh, sure. method actor, kind of. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he was kind of weird, but yeah, I liked that element of the movie. It, it, it made me laugh when she like bows before him and- like stamps the hammer. <laughs> yeah. Like I like laughed out loud. I was yeah. dying. That was good. Oh yeah. I like that stuff. It is one of those movies where they, they, they just barely make it home before the parents get home. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, yeah, people do end up on the outside of sides, uh, skyscrapers. And, uh... Yeah. I mean, I like the fact that it ramps up to that level. That stuff is fun. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it's got a little bit of danger. I love the way that they keep cutting back throughout the movie to the uh, the friend at the train station and whatever she's Brenda. going through. I love all oh, that yeah. stuff. Dude, the guy, that guy just keeps flashing the gun at her. <laughs> yeah. laugh every time. Yeah. Just whenever she looks at him, he just pulls the gun out of his coat like, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Even when she first calls, and it's just like the homeless guy's screaming at her because she's in the phone booth. Like, yeah. And he's like, uh, get out of my house. <laughs> she just like kicks his shit out of there. Like, you moved. Yeah. Just all that the little shit like that. steals her glasses. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, her glasses no, get stolen truly. and she can't see. And then she thinks she's petting a cat and it's a rat and all that. It's, I just like all that stuff. That was oh, fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, I... I, I Dug the vibe of this the same way that uh, we we've talked about like these these kind of movies the kids on an adventure in the eighties films just mm-hmm. you know they have that vibe yeah and uh, it's easy to get into even though I had never seen it before good deal I thought this was interesting so Bradley Whitford plays the uh, the scumbag boyfriend of Elizabeth Shue mm-hmm. and uh, you know they make cracks in the movie about like how he has a Camaro with the license plate so cool. Yeah, that's how they find him, yep. Yeah, that was actually Bradley Whitford's real car and his real license plate. (laughs) Oh, God, really? Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I read that. Uh, I guess they saw that and were just like, this is too good, we have to put this into the movie, it's so dumb. (laughs) It's like, wow, we couldn't write a worse person to have uh, something belonging to them than this. Yeah. Uh, he was supposed to be playing a high school student, but he was like 25 when they made the movie. Uh, I was going to say, he looks old as shit in this Yeah, movie. he does. 
He's one of those uh, that guy actors who's been in a billion things. He's in Young Guns 2, Scent of a Woman. I think he's like uh, one of the asshole prep school kids who's like the villains in that, along with uh, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. I feel like he's, what did I just see him in? Or He's in something recently where he's like an analyst. Or... He's in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Oh, that's <laughs> what I'm thinking of. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. He also, coincidentally, is in Bicentennial Man. He's in Billy Madison, The Client, Philadelphia, Robocop 3, Cabin in the Woods also. He's, uh, oh, right, right. He's yeah, one of the he's... scientists, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the two guys. Yeah, with the clip at the uh, yeah. the chalkboard. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely that kind of actor. He's been in a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's in a bunch of things. This was pretty nuts <laughs> to me. Uh, the list of actresses that were either considered for or turned down the role of uh, the lead before Elizabeth Shue got it. Deep breath. Okay. Julia Louise Dreyfus, Jodie Foster, Sharon Stone, Kathleen Turner, Brooke Shields, Melanie Griffith, Andy McDowell, Tatum O'Neill, Heather Langenkamp, Valerie Bertinelli, Justine Bateman, and Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> Jesus. Among others. Like, apparently they tried out, like, a hundred women. And, you know, a lot of them, like, turned it down or were busy doing other things. But so what a fucking like a big list. deal movie. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I think I read somewhere that Chris Columbus ended up picking Elizabeth Shue over a couple of other people just because she had that, like, girl next door kind of vibe. Oh, yeah. I think she's perfect, is it? Yeah. She's, she's great in the lead. And in addition to the remake from 2016, which we talked about... <laughs> Uh, when I was looking it up, I found this, which is, I thought was pretty weird because, like, the only imagery I could find from it is, like, really blurry and shitty looking. Like, it almost gave me the vibe of, like, a horror film or something. But uh, after the movie came out, uh, they made a television pilot for an Adventures in Babysitting television series in 1989 that was directed by a guy named Joel Zwick, who gave us My Big Fat Greek Wedding in the live-action Fat Albert movie. <laughs> Okay. And the plot of the pilot episode is, after their trip into the big city in the movie, Chris once again is asked to babysit Brad, Sarah, and Daryl for the night. When a simple trip to the store turns into a hostage situation, Chris and the kids have themselves yet another adventure. This was going to be a TV show? Yeah. Now, my question is, was that just the plot of the first episode, the pilot episode? Like, there's a hostage situation, and then by the end of the show, it's resolved? Or was the plot of the show going to be in the first episode, the hostage situation takes place, and then over the course of, like, a season, they're, like, on an adventure? I mean, both are terrible. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it would probably be the former, where, like, every week something crazy would happen with the family. Because, like, the idea of an entire season-long adventure, like the show 24 or something, is, I, right. I just don't think they would have come up with that idea in 1989. Yeah, me neither. But, but thankfully, that didn't become a thing. Yeah. So that sounds terrible. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see that pilot, if there's a way to track it down, but... Well, I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't find the budget for this movie, but box office of 34.4. Okay. Uh, I have to imagine this had a lower budget than Explorers. Maybe, because, I mean, if the Goonies, two years before this, they built all the caves and an entire fucking pirate ship, and, like, they had sloth and all that other stuff. Like, this movie, you know, it's all, quote-unquote, real world, like, gangsters and yeah. the city. Like, this had to have been cheap-ish. Without knowing a goddamn thing about what would be involved, I'd say this was, like, an $8 million movie or something. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. This is like under $10 million, I would think. So, right. 
movie presumably made money. I mean, they made a fucking, they tried to make a TV show based off of it, so it must have been pretty popular. I mean, I would say this is like a cult favorite, or even more than that. I feel like this was just a real popular one back then. Yeah. I guess, you know, this is just based on almost nothing, but the fact that it has babysitting in the title, like, I, I never really could have gathered what exactly I was in for, I guess, from the poster, but um, mm-hmm. I I don't know what I expected it to be. I, I don't, I, I definitely wasn't expecting it to be one of those, like, one crazy night kind of films. Mm. But yeah, I just, I guess I never yeah. really, it's a movie that, like, I, I always kind of wanted to see just because it's like, you know, that kind of eighties family film, mm-hmm. but, um, it wasn't like high on my list of priorities. So, you know, I enjoyed it. I'm glad that, uh, the show came around to force me to watch it. Cause God knows if or when I ever would have gotten around it's to it otherwise. One of those ones. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I can dig it Mills. All right. Uh, anything else about, uh, adventures in babysitting? No, let's talk some posties. All right, uh, we're in good company here, I gotta say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the Goonies poster, is that a Struzan? It is. Okay. I mean, classic image, even if you don't really know or like the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, it's actually, now that I think about it, it's pretty close to the Adventures of Babysitting one, but <laughs> yeah, uh, kids hanging from, I never remember which it is, stalagmites or stalactites. Oh, sure. <laughs> one of those over top of the treasure map i mean it's a nice painting it's a nice painting i actually don't love this as a poster oh really i mean don't get me wrong nice painting drew's drew's but it's just like i don't know like when i think of the movie or you know i don't know if this would have been like the route i go it's almost like especially because it's um uh josh brolin's like first movie like you feel like you're supposed to know who he is because he's like so front and center I know, it's just like, it's not like the most appealing idea to me, I guess, when I think of the movie either, but I feel like it's not the, ugly. It's not ugly by any cha- uh, by any means, but... I feel like the premise of the poster fits the movie pretty well, even though this exact thing where they're all dangling from one another never happens. It's like, it's almost just like a, how would I even put it, like a, a, a kind of tropey idea of this kind of like adventure, you know... Uh, searching for treasure movie where like, you know, they're in peril hanging from something. And, uh, I, I don't know. I think it kind of fits the vibe. It's a nice painting as well. I, I dig I mean, it. It does. It's, I don't think it doesn't necessarily doesn't fit. It's just, I don't know if it's the number one idea I would have based off the movie. It's also just, um, like I said, I, even as somebody who's never been that big of a fan of the movie in the past, it's very iconic. I, I mean, I feel like it's easily recognizable and I've oh, yeah. seen this poster 700 times. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like the fact that it's not just, uh, you know, kind of a... You know, Drew Struzan is amazing at doing poster montages, mm-hmm. but I'm glad it's not just like an Indiana Jones-style montage with, like, all the kids' faces or whatever. Like, some of them are so small, you don't... Like, the main character, uh, Sean Astin's character, is, like, third from the bottom. You can't even really see him. Right, but yeah. Yeah, I dig this. I like this one, personally. Yeah, it certainly definitely uh, would not be my first Struzan stuff when be anywhere close to the top for me. Yeah. I mean, Drew Struzan has a shitload of amazing posters under his belt. And because I don't have a real close personal connection to this movie, this wouldn't be like my top choice either. But, you know, the kind of thing we always talk about on the show of like, uh, does the poster get across what you're in for? I feel like this is oh, a pretty yeah. good representation yeah. of the yeah. movie. And, yeah, you know, it's Struzan, so it's appealing anyway. Mm-hmm. 
Jumping to the explorers, I don't know what image I'm familiar with being associated with this movie, but it ain't this. Same. Like, is there a box art that, like, is different from this that I would normally think of? I think there's, like, a... It might be, like, a shot of the ship, of their ship, like, in space, and then there may be, like, floating heads of the three kids above it or something. Because, yeah, I don't know this poster either, but this is right from IMDb. Uh, um, yeah, I'm just taking a quick look to see what else is out there. Yeah, you're right. There's it's like the three kids' faces. It's it almost looks like the ship floating over Mars or something. Yeah, and I think it's like that's more of just a box art from like VHS or something maybe. That must be what I'm familiar with. Be, yeah, like what I'm used to seeing and it's not very good. This poster, which I feel like I have never clapped eyes on in my life before, is fucking great. <laughs> I love this one. This is an incredible premise, For, execution, yo. color scheme, simplicity, it's yeah. mysterious, it's interesting. I love it. <laughs> I, the only thing I don't like about this poster, which we kind of bring up once in a while, is it's like it's got two taglines. It's like just pick one of them. You know, there's one oh, in the yeah. blue at the very top, which you can barely see. You don't but... need a driver's license to reach the stars. Get that the fuck out of there. That has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. The adventure begins in your own backyard. That's perfect. That's perfect. This is a great poster. This is a gorgeous poster. Like, when I first saw this, I was like, what? I've never seen this. Like, you know, Explorers mm-hmm. isn't like a huge deal of a movie, as we talked about. You know, it's kind of forgotten by a lot of people. It's a cult film, but... uh like in my travels, like, you know, buying physical media or whatever, renting movies at the the video store, I guess they just never used this, uh, this imagery. I wonder if it's one of those things where the movie didn't do that well. So they figured the marketing must've been bad. So they changed all the poster designs and things for like VHS releases and stuff, but probably, yeah, this poster is amazing. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's like a it's like a fence that looks like it's you know in like a suburban neighborhood. It's an upshot. There's a bike and a skateboard and a trash can, and there's just like this white and blue glow coming from behind the fence. So it's like mysterious. It doesn't exactly give away what you're gonna see. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't directly tie to the movie quite in the way that I was saying. I th- I felt that the Goonies did, but. Man, just for giving the vibe of the first yeah. half of the film, this is fucking it. Like, yeah. this is a great poster. And, like, the name and, like, the upshot, all the stars. Yeah. Like, kind of, I feel like it sells that there's something to do with space. Mm-hmm. You know? I even like the, the logo, the O is just the orb. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that was a cool, like, little little detail. I love this thing. Yeah, this is a fantastic fucking poster, and I can't believe I've never seen it before. Same here, man. It just, it makes me wish that the movie was better. Same here. (laughs) Oh, but man, like, this really does, uh, this applies to the first half of the movie very well. Just that sense of Mm -hmm. wonder and, ah, it's so good. Uh, And then Adventures in Babysitting, is this another Struzan? It is. It's it's actually funny uh, now that I look at them how similar it is to the Goonies where it's like mm-hmm. a group of kids like h- hanging from oh, something. Yeah. Oh yeah, just different angle, different setting, but yeah, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Nice city in the background and everything. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily okay. have anything bad to say about this one. Like if I had to choose between the two, I think that the Goonies being the more dynamic, like downshot, is a little more interesting to me. But I mean, this gets across the like 
comedy value. Like this almost looks like a Mad Magazine kind of yeah. parody image or something. The uh, his just on both, but his his likenesses are so good. Mm-hmm. This also brings to mind the old uh, trope of Batman and Robin climbing up the side of a building oh, in yeah. the old Batman TV show. Mm-hmm. Totally. Can I say that as a costume choice in the movie, I absolutely love the gigantic long scarf on Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is yeah. featured on this poster. I uh, I did tell Megan if she ever goes to a con, I think uh, dressing up as a, what's her name with the Thor stuff would be great for her to do as cosplay. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Which... Elizabeth Shue, but that would be great. Megan dressed as the little girl with the, the Thor <laughs> helmet and the... little hammer. <laughs> Oh well, the then we got to put you in a blue tank top and a yeah, and a blonde wig, and you can be Thor, oh, like boy. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, that'd be something. Yeah, I said, oh, she could she could sell that little girl as Thor. It'd be <laughs> fucking hilarious. I like the logo for this one. Yeah, it's very eighties, very like airbrush. Yeah, it's got like that the shines all over it, makes it look like mm-hmm. it's made out of metal or something. Oh and yeah, just the the big purple triangle behind it. It's yeah, mm-hmm. it's very appealing. Yeah, yeah, I like this one a lot too. I mean, we we lucked out with three three good ass uh, posters. Yeah, I mean, well, when you're dealing with yeah. mainstream all kind of all ages adventure eighties movies, like this is yeah. like prime uh, oh, yeah. subject matter for classic eighties painted poster art. Mm-hmm. Break it down for the people, Millsy. I mean, the thing that blows my mind is that going up, I don't know who did the Explorers poster, uh, but going up against two Drew Struzans, I can't believe that my favorite one <laughs> is Explorers. It's just. I, I mean, I have to agree. Like like I said, I don't think the Goonies one is bad. It's just not, certainly not my favorite. Yeah. Um, I do love the Adventures of Babysitting, but it's almost like, it's almost like very static. Mm-hmm. Where Yeah, because like, it's that straight you, side view. If you're gonna talk like dynamic poster, man, this explorer's one is the jam. The upshot, the the feeling of it, just like the general feel, the the simple colors, like yeah, mm-hmm. adventures in babysitting. It's like the pink fading to blue, fading to black skyline with skyscrapers of all colors in the background and characters in colorful outfits climbing up the side of the building with a big yellow and purple logo, like. But then you look at Explorers and it's just like black, white, and blue, and it's fucking yeah. gorgeous. Just sells it. It's so good. I mean, that's uh, easy, far and away, a five. Uh, five yeah. um, fucking suction cup fingers. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> For Explorers. Uh, uh, I love, 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 love this poster so much. Yeah. Like, this might be coming close to my favorite poster for any movie we've talked about. I mean, it's up there. I mean... I, I rock with you on that for sure. Yeah, like top five at least. I mean, it's tough to beat Akira, for example, because mm-hmm. <laughs> that is also a simple, like, great poster. But, man, this I mean, is... without having them laid out in front of us, top five, I wouldn't yeah, battle that. Top five, easily. Uh, this has to be. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, the other two are both great. Um I yeah. mean, Drew Struzan paintings, uh, under any circumstance, I would probably give both of those a five as well. I mean. I don't hate it. Uh, I guess in the case of Adventures in Babysitting, we're going to get uh, five Playboy centerfolds. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, for the Goonies, we're going to get um, five uh, eye patches on uh, naked uh, guys in the shower at the, the country sh- club. Did oh, you geez. notice that one guy had an eye patch on? No. <laughs> Millsy, you don't miss with these. I love it. 
<laughs> yeah, I thought it was so weird. Just like a uh, random little element when uh, they're fucking with the pipes down in the caves. Uh-huh. And it's like panning across all the old guys in the shower room at the yeah. uh, the country club. One of them is just buck ass naked with an eye patch on in the love shower. It. I love it. Oh, this scoring system of yours. <laughs> but best, yeah, I mean, the, the best thing ever. What a lineup of posters here. Oh, embarrassment of riches. Yeah. All right. Um, bye, bar burn time. Bye, bar burn time. Is this uh, easy for you? Is it difficult for you? Uh,. No, it's pretty easy. That's probably uh no no surprise. So I'd say um unfortunately for love in the first half, Explorers is my burn. That's the hardest thing because the first half is it's so good. The first half of Explorers is probably my favorite movie of the three that we're talking, but the second <laughs> half is the right, worst of the three. Yeah. It's like if you if the the beginning is a 5 the first half is a five star, and the second half is a zero. Now it's a two and a half stars. It's like, God damn yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's tough because it's like I want to reward the first half of that movie, like the part that's really good, but it comes along with the second and half. It, and it actually like hurts my heart even more that the poster is so good. Oh, I know. Like it, It's like I'm so glad it is good, but then it's just like, God damn it, that fucking second half. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just, you know, and especially for something I knowing, knowingly loved when I was a kid. And still do, but just half of it, it's still going to be my burn. But honestly, Adventures of Babysitting is just an easy buy for me. It's just, it's, I've always liked it, and I just find it to be, like, funny and heartwarming and ridiculous. And that's just like, it's like, it, it, what it sells, it, it just delivers completely for me. So that's my buy. And Goonies, it's a good time, even though it's packed full of annoying children <laughs> but still my borrow yeah so there we go all right well uh yeah as much as i feel confused and reticent to do so i also have to burn explorers I, mm-hmm. it's so much potential just yeah wasted on an ending that you know if they hadn't rushed them an extra two months, uh, I still don't know if the ending would have been better, but I don't think, I mean, I still, I'm, I would always hate those, the whole, just the gist of it being like ugly alien kids. Just like, I don't know, just it, it does not deliver. Yeah. The one, the one of them does an entire fucking musical number. Oh, I it, just hate it. Yeah. That whole stand up angle. I just hated it. Mm-hmm. hate it. Yeah, it's just, it's a real fucking shame because that movie could have been so much better. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, then when it comes down to the other two, um, you know, I definitely liked Goonies a lot more this time than I did originally. And, you know, it is one of those seminal 80s kids adventure movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adventures in Babysitting had never seen before, didn't really know what to expect. And maybe it's the combination of I've never been like the biggest Goonies fan in the world, and I was like very pleasantly surprised by Adventures in Babysitting. I'm gonna give the buy to Adventures in Babysitting as well. <laughs> okay. And Goonies, like I said, you know, it's it's it is what it is, and everybody knows what it is, and it has a reputation for being that movie. But uh, mm-hmm. it's never been like a personal beloved favorite of mine. But it, you know, it's a good movie. Um, but adventures in babysitting. Yeah. yeah, Going in first time watch, not knowing what to expect. I really had a good time with it aside from the, uh, blues scene. (laughs) 
Uh, that'll always hurt my heart, but it is what it is. I don't know. Maybe on a rewatch knowing it's coming, but it just felt like like what I was saying, you know, even watching, you know, a goofy uh like eighties family comedy film, because mm. of the type of film it is, like I said, I naturally had this like tension of like I know it's all gonna work out. I know that like they're gonna get home just mm. in time to clean up and the parents will never know. Like I, I could see it coming a mile away. But like just in your head, no one's got time to sing songs. Yeah, they gotta in get, the mo- keep going. In the moment, I'm like with the movie and the characters, and I'm like experiencing what they're experiencing. And it's like there are more important things to be doing right now than singing just because this old blues man said to. Like <laughs> that baby says blues is a jam, though, Millsy. You gotta admit. Uh... <laughs> God damn it. Jury's out on that one until I get a, uh, until I uh, oh. take some we'll time get, we'll, and give it a We'll let you look. get some time and then maybe yeah. revisit. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> oh, I love it. But, uh, you know, it's not as big oh, a mark uh, against this movie as the ending of Explorers is against that one or anything, but oof. it's uh, brutal. Yeah. If I could just excise that one sequence, then uh, uh, it's all gravy, baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm what, I mean, just even back to Explorers, but like, where does it go wrong for you with Explorers? Like, as soon as, like, for me, as soon as they get to the other spaceship? They get to the ship, and, you know, I like that enough. Like, it, uh, Joe Dante, I read, he made a comment about how, like, the paint was literally still wet on the sets because they were, like, rushing to get everything done in time because the schedule got moved up. So, like, maybe it could have looked better with, like, a little more time or whatever, but just the general look of the inside of the ship, it had that like sense of like mysterious wonder to me, like that part where the ship gets blasted with the energy and then all the kids decide like, yeah, we need to get out. And I'm sitting there thinking this is cool. in as much as it's like that idea of, okay, if we did meet an alien civilization and they were doing something that's normal to them, but we aren't familiar with, like it would seem alien and unusual to us, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. imagine if like an alien came to Earth and their species doesn't have teeth, and then they saw us brushing our teeth, they'd be like, "What the fuck are they doing?" Mm-hmm. Like, is that kind of vibe? Like, I like that tone and that feel, and it's very mysterious. And you know, I understand that they hadn't introduced the goofy aliens yet, so they're trying to play with the audience of like, "Yeah, you don't know what's gonna happen next, do you?" It's true, true, true. So I'm like fine with all that, but then yeah, as soon as they see the aliens, I'm kind of that that's when it falls apart for me like the second yeah. they step on screen mm-hmm. i got gotcha. you but um yeah like the right. you know the ship itself and everything i was kind of on board with it just needed to go in a completely different direction story-wise yeah all right there it is all right uh what all are right. we gonna watch next here we go 239 milsey 239 themes <laughs> uh milsey yes nine <laughs> Always with the fucking early numbers. Nine is... Oh. What do we got? S.G. Lovecraft. Okay. I am ready. I feel like any cinephiles out there will know exactly what that means. Uh Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, this was an early one that I came up with. (laughs) Yep. It's It's pretty obvious, but I'm... Very Millsy episode. I'm here for it. Uh, the middle one I have not seen. Really? Um, pretty sure. Shit, you're in for a good time. <laughs> oh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm excited. <laughs> you should be. I'm I'm very excited. Uh, I'm all about it. 
I mean, this was my idea, and it was an early pick, so something that uh, I was uh, ready. I was raring to go with that idea when we started coming up with themes for this show. <laughs> oh, there we go. So, uh, like next we'll episode just switch will be... switch gears completely from yeah. this episode. Bouncing all around here lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so next episode will be 67, and we'll be talking SG Lovecraft. Get your guesses in uh, mm-hmm. as to what that means. I know, I know, so, uh, I know Tony ought to be able to get it. He better. <laughs> he better. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Well, Mills, for Triple Threat Theater, I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Goonies never say die. <laughs> <laughs> That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.